The presenting sponsor of Moon Tower Soccer is FVF Law. To find out what makes FVF a different kind of injury law firm, you can visit FVF.law. Hello, friends, and thanks for listening to Moon Tower Soccer. This week, we'll recap Austin's first loss of the season in Portland. We'll preview the upcoming Seattle Sounders match and cover a big weekend for Austin FC fans, including attending the Academy matches against FC Dallas and EMLS Cup. My name's Landon Cottom, and I'm joined, as always, by Mr. Jeremiah Bentley. Hey, everybody, I'm Jeremiah Bentley. And yeah, Landon, we don't, on weeks when the team plays on the road, often don't see each other, but I feel like we got plenty of time together this weekend, uh, both on Saturday and Sunday. So let's get into that a little bit. Yeah, it was a, a very busy away weekend. So on Saturday, uh, they kind of had the the run back of the U-17 match that was supposed to happen against FC Dallas a while back, and they were going to have a bunch of fans out. Um got canceled because of the snowstorm or the ice storm and got moved to this date. I think there's probably fewer people than RSVP'd to the original one, but still had a quite a good turnout, right? Yeah, the stands were full. We had the there was a great march. I like that you got up and shot the video of it, which last time I looked on Twitter it done like a ton of uh of interaction as far as the uh the fans marching in. Yeah, that one got a lot of interaction, but I think our most popular social media post ever is going to be the video of Mike and Steph talking to the dog. Oh, really? Yes, that is on Instagram specifically. Uh, That is going to be our most viewed social media item ever, probably. (laughs) Hey, you got to know. You got to know what the people want, which I guess so that's, yeah, Friday, there was a swoon tower day. Saturday, we had a tailgate uh, meet up at the pitch. An Academy U seventeen match. Well, I guess they had several Academy matches. I think, right? Like, did That's true. like three yeah. three teams play? But it was kind of the big performance there at Palmer Field was the U uh, seventeen match, and you provided some updates from it. But they look they look good from what I saw. I mean, they you know FC Dallas is obviously a really strong Academy, um, but the boys really put in a good shift and really uh, definitely seem to appreciate the support. I mean, how cool would that be if you were a seventeen year old kid to have like full stands and a band and songs and chants and sort of all that uh behind you is you're just like playing soccer absolutely yeah and you could see it on their face like they they scored the the u17s was the game that everyone kind of gathered around but uh when they scored that first goal and, and the the morgo starts doing all right all right all right chant you could see on their faces that like uh, I was sitting next to Mike Ellison at the game actually and he's he was like where do you think this like ranks on like moments in these kids lives and I was like maybe number one like this might be the best moment of these kids lives like beating FC Dallas and having all these fans go crazy for you like I imagine it's it's up there for them but yeah it's got to be really cool for these kids yeah and they looked really good uh on set pieces which is something maybe the senior team didn't quite follow through on against Portland the next day so maybe maybe there's something to be learned from the academy kids so the I think the worst result of the day was a nil nil draw for one of the younger teams. The U15s won four nil. The U17s won two one. Um and looked so I, I didn't see much I didn't see much of the other or of the U15s and then none of the others. So watched all of the U17s. Uh and they looked like the better team for most of the game, right? Like until about sixty something minute when Dallas scored their goal. Austin FC was in control of that game and Dallas pulled one back uh, halfway through the second half and then put a lot of pressure on Austin through the rest of the game. And I think Austin ended up getting a red card in the last couple of minutes and were kind of holding on for dear life, but never gave up the equalizer and ended up pulling out the win. So um, there's, I think it's worth noting that Micah Burton was not at this game. He is in Argentina with the U 17 national team. And so who might be the best player on the team wasn't there. But that being said, there's still a lot of really good players on this team. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's uh, the goals came from Brian Ariano and uh, Diego. I think it's Diego Rodriguez. That might not be the correct last name, but uh, and then a uh, number two, who I believe his name is Anthony Deanda. And he came from the, uh, the Barca residency Academy in Arizona that kid can play, man. 
uh, he was the little little left winger. And I had seen him play several times and mostly at either fullback or like wingback and could tell he had a little bit of sauce, but um, he wasn't playing in an attacking position like that. But that kid's good. Well, then that was Saturday. And then we got to see something that I hadn't, was nothing like anything I had experienced on Sunday was the EMLS Cup. Um, what, you, what did you think about going to uh, ACL and watching a bunch of guys play video games? Well, <laughs> the, the way you said it was about where my expectations were set. Like, I'm not that much into gaming. Uh, didn't really know that much about like esports or anything like that. But they they offered us media passes and sent us some cool jerseys. And I was like, yeah, I'll go check it out. It should be a fun event. And we got there and it was like actually pretty cool, right? It was. It really was. It was really cool. I mean, the production value, I guess I, I didn't appreciate like how many different things were going on. So there was this, the main stage at ACL. They had sort of four places set up to play, but they had, uh, you know, they had like a like an announcer's desk that you would have just like you have like the Austin FC pregame show and they had a DJ and they had Mike LaHood who is just an amazing MC um, and LaMurgan. Like it was a really, really cool experience. It's something I went in not knowing anything about or what to expect at all. Yeah. So they had, they had the Morga there kind of uh, playing in between little set breaks and things like that. So they're kind of like the house band and they had a DJ, Mike LaHood was emceeing. Me and Jeremiah were up in like the press area for a bit and then, uh, our, your son, our, uh, our gaming consultant who also got a media pass. <laughs> yeah. Who, yeah. He got a media pass and then he immediately told the guys like, I don't play sports games. Like, Shut <laughs> like, just, I just like to shoot people. I'm like, stop it. Just <laughs> own the moment and be here. But he had a really good time and he loves Cheez-Its and Pringles. And those were the official, uh, snack sponsors of, of the, of the event. So he did, a, he did chow down on some Cheez-Its for sure. Like we just turned around and Jackson just had Cheez-Its. <laughs> like, where'd you get those? Like some guy walked by and gave them to me. <laughs> cool. <laughs> and there's another moment when we were standing up in the media area, we turned around and there was like a banner hanging up on the wall. And you were like, this guy seems like too handsome to be a, like an EMLS players. He's actually Nashville's guy. And it was like kind of a weird picture. And after looking around, it was like, I think that's Walker Zimmerman, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for, for sure. Not that, and apologies to the Nashville EMLS guy who was there, but yes, he was. He was. It was definitely Walker Zimmerman. But yeah, I mean, it was a great experience, and they they put on a good show, and uh, and I learned a lot, you know. And I the uh, when our guy uh, Xverde, who I guess he was just in the knockout round, and he played against what the Red Bulls guy is that right? Yeah, the Red Bulls player. Yeah, and so the Red Bull guys took got took a one zero lead, and then like when he scored the goal to tie it up. I think in the second half, like the whole floor erupted. It was almost like being in an Austin FC match. It was kind of wild. Yeah. So I, I know I told you, you left pretty early on and I told you that I was about to leave as well, but I actually ended up staying the the whole time pretty much and left after the final match. Uh, but like the, the room was like pretty electric during that final and like people were really into it. And, um, I kind of figured it was going to be an event where people like cycled in and out the whole day and just like, oh, this is something weird. I'll come check it out for five minutes and then leave. But they were at capacity from like 2 p.m. when the event started. And I left after that final match and there were still people outside in line. So it was one in, one out all day. That's and so like and a lot crazy. of the people good stayed, for stayed for a lot of it. So I, I think they said there was like 36,000 people viewing on Twitch during the final, um, which I know there's other esports that pull way bigger numbers than that but i thought it was uh, a really well well executed event and uh i would i would probably go to something like that again which is not something i thought i would say yeah absolutely if anybody wants to invite us back to that in the future we would be more than happy to do it so who ended up winning in the final who was in the final and who ended up winning it all it was atlanta versus dc and atlanta won it i believe um and i was kind of pulling for dc because uh, Pablo Maurer of The Athletic, who is their beat writer for DC and does some other like freelance work in like DC soccer media, was there covering EMLS Cup for The Athletic. And so I snuck over into like the little side stage area where they were letting the Morga hang out in between sets. And that's where Pablo was. So I got to meet Pablo Maurer and just kind of hang out and talk to him for a while. And he was like, he was writing about the DC guy or like kind of pulling for the DC guy because he's from DC. 
And so I think we were all kind of pulling for the DC guy just because Pablo was standing there. But I think the Atlanta guy ended up winning. Well, and random Pablo note, there's this like crazy dive bar close to my house that apparently Pablo spent Saturday night at called Shenanigans over on Pond Springs Road. <laughs> like out of the hundreds of bars in this city, how Pablo Maurer ended up at this like random strip mall, like I mean, it's like a classic 80s dive bar thing is beyond me but uh it was kind of cool to see and apparently there's a lot of people from austin on twitter who also spent a lot of time making a lot of bad decisions there because i saw a lot of response to that too i think he like hunts things like that he's he's also a photographer like a really good photographer and has like done um like projects where he'll sneak into abandoned hotel complexes in the catskills and like do these beautiful uh photo projects and so i think he just kind of hunts out weird things like shenanigans whenever <laughs> whenever he's in a city well that was cool to see um and i guess the other thing i think like we saw this from ex verde today where he like really uh, i think appreciated the support that he got in the match and seemed a little disappointed that he like didn't they didn't make it out of the first round right did you see that i think it was a what is a tweet yeah, he tweeted that he was like made some mistakes and like was kind of like I let the fans down and I'm sorry about that. But the all the Austin FC fans and like the Los Verdes folks and the the Morga folks who were there in the crowd gave him a lot of love after after he lost and he like didn't know what to do. He's like, no, I just lost. Like <laughs> I don't deserve this right now. But um, yeah, you you could tell that he like appreciated it and he came back out and was helping Michael Hood do some like merch giveaways afterwards but um yeah I, I think i think he was not expecting to have fans there and was uh, like really appreciated it yeah i guess to tie that back to the to the academy game we asked about where it's at mike allison asked you about like what does the ever 17 year old kid think like that's i'm sure that's the biggest crowd Verde has ever had cheer him on playing a game right <laughs> was, yeah was cheering that? cheering for him specifically probably yes <laughs> Yeah, which is really, which is awesome for him too. But yeah, overall, it was really good experience. And then I, one thing that I did love is on the way out, I caught Ray Castello giving the middle finger to the Houston Dynamo jersey and like taking a picture <laughs> of himself, which was just, it was just a random encounter. But I, that was like, this is the most Ray thing ever that I, would, that I would be on the way out with my son. And because they had all those jerseys lined up along the, you know, along the walk in and out. <laughs> Speaking and, of Ray Castello, I was going to tell this story and forgot, but. Okay. Um, the there was like the producer who was like running, like the stage producer, kind of like telling everybody when to go and where and when the camera was going to turn on and when the Morga should be playing and when they shouldn't be playing. And he walks over and is holding the trophy as the finals starting. And Ray walks up to him and just like starts touching the trophy. And he's like, no, no, you can't touch it. And we realized that like the guy's holding it with like white cotton gloves. <laughs> <laughs> and then Ray just puts his fingerprints all over it. It's, oh, a, perfect, Ray. it's a perfect Ray moment. <laughs> he was, he acted pretty proud of it. <laughs> all right. Anything else about EMLS or the Academy before we take a break, Jeremiah? Uh, only that. It's incredible that in a weekend when the team is out of town, that there's like that much action going on and like that much Austin FC experience and like fan stuff. And it just it shows how much this city is like embraced this club and how much is going on. And hopefully, hopefully ELS can come back to South by Southwest again sometime soon. Yeah, I mean, I imagine with as good of a turnout was there and it wasn't just a bunch of random South by people. There's a lot of Austin FC gear in the crowd. And so I like EMLS sees that MLS sees that other other soccer related stuff sees that and they're probably going to want to come do more events in Austin, which I think we'll welcome. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back to recap the uh, Portland game over the weekend. Hang tight. We'll be right back. Austin's newest spot to enjoy food, fun, and football is now open. The Pitch, located next to Austin FC's training facility at 13,000 Harris Ridge Boulevard, has a little something for every fan. You can order from four different kitchens with unique cuisines serving locally sourced food as well as a selection of local beer and craft cocktails. Or just settle down in front of one of the 35 big screen TVs to watch Austin FC when they're on the road. So we talked about going there on Saturday and they were out of the greatest quesadilla that Jackson Bentley <laughs> has ever eaten in his life. 
So we had the chicken strips and we had the burger, and we can report that those are also tasty. So um, check Mike it out, Ellison no matter what. gave me some of some of his fries that he got from Ranger Burger, and they were also very good. Okay, so it's not not just the quesadilla. There are, I think, what at least four places to eat, and they're all pretty good. Uh, the pitch is open from 11 to 8, Tuesday to Saturday. They're also open for special events. So I know against Seattle, there's going to be a watch party. So be sure to visit thepitchaustin.com for more details and information. You can get a 10% discount by entering the word GOAL, that's G-O-A-L, in the promo code field in the mobile ordering app on your next visit. All right, let's talk about hot sauce. Let's do it. Teardrop Pepper Company has finally created the perfect recipe right here in Austin, Texas. Their all-natural, award-winning hot sauce has a delicious blend of flavor and heat, enhancing your favorite foods and leaving you wanting more. Whether you like the zesty kick of Golden Habanero or the garlicky smoothness of Supreme Serrano, it's the best way to spice up your Austin FC pre-match meals. Teardrop Pepper Company has two unique flavors, and you can order them from their website, teardroppepperco.com, or from their social media pages. And I know every time I drop in a reference to using it in your Bloody Marys, like you like you laugh and but i'm not very specific but i can say here's what you need four oh, ounces yeah, give, of, give us a recipe give yeah. us a recipe four ounces of tito's vodka eight ounces of your favorite uh bloody berry mix whatever it might be zing zang for me then uh jalapeno stuffed uh olives fresh sliced jalapenos and some teardrop pepper company golden habanero sprayed under that top is like the perfect spicy bloody mary so that's that's my advice for all the, those of you out there try that out and it will change your life i really want one of those right now if you would like some of your very own teardrop pepper cool hot sauce you can use offer code gold that's g-o-a-l to save 10 percent off your order put it on everything they'll make more all right we are back to recap the game over the weekend so austin fc lost one nil to the timbers in portland on saturday night uh, some important stats here. Austin led possession 61% to 39%. Uh, they lost the expected goals battle 1.82 to 0.92, so not too far apart from each other here. Uh, shots, Austin actually led in shots 16 to 14. Um, in all of those 30 shots, there was one shot on target from either team, and it was the one that went It was in. the one goal, yeah. I know. Um, and we'll, we can get into this, but a lot of these stats are reminiscent of performances that we've last year we talked about that were very dismaying. And I think the narrative on this one is going to be that it was a little, this was a little bit different somehow. Like it was a different kind of one, one nil loss. Yeah, I think so. I think it was, we will get into that a little bit later, but, um, looking at other, some other stats. So Austin blocked nine of Portland shots. Portland blocked six of Austin's. And so it was just like, seemed to be mostly like a pretty well-played defensive game from both teams. And yeah, the, like I said, the one goal on target ended up being the one that mattered. But this was, we talked about last week, how this is going to be kind of our first big test of the year. First two teams we played were quite bad. Um, Portland is a good team. We went there, ended up being a cold and rainy night in Portland. And it it was a big test that that's how the game shook out. You know, you read this, can they do it on a cold, rainy night in here or there or whatever? Do you know like the origin of that? It's Stoke. Can they do it on it's a cold, Stoke. rainy night in Stoke? And I think it was you know a broadcaster th- in yes. England who said it once and then it like caught on and people just say that about Stoke now. Do you know who he said it about? I do not. Lionel Messi. He was saying like, Lionel Messi's pretty good, but could he do it on a cold... <laughs> Wet Wednesday night in Stoke, and I just I'm like, gonna guess he did. <laughs> he did, yeah. And eventually, <laughs> at some point, he actually did get to play like years later in Stoke, and he did perform in a cold, cold rainy night in Stoke. But it's just hilarious that oh, keeps... so it wasn't even about a specific game. They were just saying they were saying that oh, Messi couldn't hack it in the Premier League. Was yeah. that kind of the yeah. the idea? Interesting. I did not know that. Yes. So one of the big questions we had was the lineup. So we kind of thought we knew who most of it would be. I think the biggest question for me was who started at the six. And I was vocal that I I wanted to see Valencia in this one just because of what kind of game it was going to be. Uh, we saw Danny Pereira, and Danny Pereira looked pretty damn good again. <laughs> yeah, he did. I mean, but yeah, we, so we did. We only saw the one change, correct? It was, uh, well, there were a couple other, no, yeah. we're getting to that. there were a couple other reasons why we might not, um, we might have seen a change. Sebastian Drews, he just had a baby. Correct. Um, very recently. And then Maxi Arruti, I guess he was banged up a little 
at the end of the last match, and there were some questions about whether he would be able to make it or not, too, if I remember right. Right, and then Alex Ring had a, a death of a, a family member, like a friend of the family, and so weren't quite sure about his status either. So, uh, yeah, there's a few guys in question there, and then I guess the center backs were the other ones. So we got Gabrielson in place of Kip Keller. Um, but after all those questions, the only two changes, actually the only only one change, right? was Gabrielson for Keller. Yep, that was the only one. And so, yeah, I feel like every time I doubt Danny Pereira, he steps up and (laughs) proves me wrong a little bit there. Um, What do they keep calling him? I just just watched the midweek press conferences finally today. Pepe. Pepe, 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 that's right. And so he calls, Wolf calls him Pepe, which I think I've, I've seen, I think another player called him that in a press conference. Ethan Finley did this week. He did this, he did the midweek press conference and he called him Pepe too. So I wonder if that comes from having two Dannys on the team maybe, but the other weird one is Wolf always calls Cecilio CC in the press conferences. And I don't think anybody else calls him that. <laughs> maybe Ceci uh, and Wolf has made CC out of it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, let's kind of run through some of the, the bigger moments of the game here. So in the 32nd minute, Drew C put one into the back of the net, but was offside. So uh, ring plays a really big switch to Cecilio. He's one-on-one on the backside. Um, Goes one-on-one with the guy, takes him on, cuts to the end line, and puts in a cross. And I think Nick Lima wins it on the backside, heads it in. On that header, Drusi goes up and is challenging Bill Tuiloma for the ball and falls down towards the goal and like is like almost on the goal line there and is standing up when Nick Lima kind of bashes it in across the face of goal again and stands up and puts it in but didn't have time to even think about getting back on side. So that one ends up not counting. Uh, Maxi Ruti has a chance. I think this was Alex Ring again putting in. It was Alex Ring ball, yep. Um, and he jumps up and it like it looks like maybe it skims his hair a little bit. But if he could have gotten a little touch on that one, that could have been something. And Cecilio is on the back post waiting for it, and the defender gets a leg up and kicks it out of bounds for a corner. Uh, but yeah, I, 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 feel like, I feel like that one was probably the best probably the best missed opportunity we had. I mean, it was just inches off. And I guess we maybe, yeah. maybe maybe we cursed ourselves last week, Landon, when you talked about how we used to talk about moments that might be goals and now there's so many goals that we we don't we don't <laughs> ever talk about that stuff and now all we have to mostly all we have to talk about are moments that might be goals, but that one was one that seemed like a real big missed opportunity. Yeah, so I think I think that was maybe the like individual moment that was most dangerous, but as far as like broader windows of play i think the one before the drew c goal that was offside i think that was a really dangerous moment with cecilio in the box crossing in and we had a lot of numbers in there and so there was a few different things that could have happened that could have ended up in a goal but portland just did a really good job of any time we got into a dangerous position which we were doing a lot we were getting into those dangerous positions just closing it down and and not let it like not giving us any space to make anything happen and so I, I think there's probably a few moments that um, Austin should have executed a little bit better, that maybe a scuffed little pass, maybe uh, played a little bit too slowly. And then other times just it was just Portland shutting him down and just doing a really great job of whenever we did get into those areas, not giving us any space to do anything. And that's where you see all those blocked shots coming from. Um, at halftime, Cecilio and Diego actually switched sides. So Diego was not having a hard time kind of getting into the game and not really being super effective. So I think they switched them to see if they could uh, affect that. And I'm not sure, like, what do you think would be different there? You think Diego would just maybe be a little bit more comfortable on that side or is it getting him on the same side as Drew? You see, like, what's the, what's the logic there? Well, that somebody, I don't remember who now. So somebody's going to not going to get credit for a question, but that came up in the post game press conference and Josh talked about, yeah, Diego connecting with Juicy, And then uh, he said, giving Cecilio a chance to run at the young guy. So I don't know who, don't know who the young oh, guy was. Being Ra- specifically referenced. Yeah. Rasmussen was the, oh no, he was. So yeah, the, the left back was Rasmussen who was in for 
um, Claudio Bravo, who got a red card in the last game. So Rasmussen is, I guess, the young guy. And from what Mike LaHood was saying was playing out of position, I'm not sure where he usually plays. He's listed as a defender. Maybe he normally plays on the right side. I'm not sure. But yeah, so do you think they're they're putting Cecilio on that side? And it wasn't necessarily a change for Diego, but to put Cecilio against that guy, right? That, yeah, that's I think so. That's what that's what came up said in the the post game is that um, they wanted to give Cecilio that run, and then also give Diego. That seemed to be a secondary factor was like giving Diego the chance to connect a little bit with Juicy. Yeah, I mean Juicy was not super influential on this game either, right? Like I was watching to see why. And the only thing I can think of is, I mean, partially that he was on the side of the field that Diego Chara was on most of the game. <laughs> uh, that's going to affect it some. But Portland's lines were so tight. And the way that Austin's been playing is Danny at the six is dropped back on one level, kind of even with the fullbacks generally. And then Ring and Drusi at those dual tens are pushed up, like kind of on the next line. And there was not space in between those lines to play. And so both of those guys ended up having to drop back deeper to get on the ball. Once they did that, they'd turn. But because they dropped in and the wingers were so wide that there wasn't anybody to play off of there. And so I think Driussi would get on the ball and would have to dribble somewhere else or just like didn't really have anywhere to go with it. So I don't know. Like, I don't think he actually played bad. I think, again, Portland just kind of had a good game plan to kind of put us in tough positions and make us do things that we didn't want to do. Yeah. That was my take on this game overall is that it was, you know, I think everybody looks at it from the perspective of their own team, but I mean, Portland like had a plan, they executed on it. You know, they, there were these, nobody had a ton of chances, but like these half chances came and they got lucky on one and, or they didn't get lucky on one, but one, one happened, worked out for them and one didn't for us. But like, it was hard to point to that being like a bad performance from Austin. It was really like good Portland. Yeah. So, uh, Halftime comes in the 49th minute, I believe, is when the the storm of yellow cards started pouring in. Oh, my gosh, in. yeah. Uh, I think there was like five or six yellow cards in like 10 or 12 minutes or something like that. Um, there was – Danny Pereira had gotten one already, and in the 62nd minute, he fouls uh, one of the Charas. I don't – maybe Jimmy Chara – over on the right side, just outside the box. And at that moment, like, it was like, I could have seen him getting a second yellow on that foul. And I kind of, they like were zoomed in a little too far. And the look on Danny's face, I thought the ref was pulling out a second yellow, but they ended up giving nothing there. And in that moment, I was like, we need subs. Like, <laughs> Danny can't stay in this game playing like this and like in this kind of game in that position with a yellow card. It can't happen. And that's when Portland scored the goal was on that free kick. And so um, I've seen Gabrielson get some, like catch some heat on Twitter and talking to people for the game in general. We'll talk about the goal and whether or not he deserves it for the goal, but the game in general, what was your assessment of Gabrielson? I mean, I th I thought he was pretty good. He seemed better on the ball than he had been um, early on. Um, he seemed, you know, decent in duels. Like, I didn't think he had a bad game. It was just like a game that turned on one event that it could have been anybody there. And I also liked him in the post game. He was really, he was super matter of fact. I don't know if you watched his interview or not, but like he owned that. Um, he's just like, yeah, it's soccer. Like, that was bad. Next time, you know, we'll be on the good side of it. And he just kind of was ready to, like, take ownership of it and move on. Yeah, I was talking to some folks uh, at the EMLS thing about it, and I hadn't gotten a chance to watch the game for a second time. And on the first viewing, like, I thought Gabrielson was really good. And looking on the second viewing, I, that's still my opinion. Uh, I think there were a few moments that he um, was not very sharp, and mainly there were two passes one of which was just like maybe a little too risky for my liking. We ended up getting a foul out of it and nothing nothing bad happened. Uh, the other one was a giveaway where he just was trying to play between lines to Drewsi and just misplayed the pass and Portland broke and it could have been a really dangerous situation. Um, but I, th I think actually 
think he ended up putting out that fire too. So there were several moments where he did put out fires in transition, um, would even like run around the other side of Cascante as Cascante was pushing up or one of them, Cascante made the error and Gabrielson ran in behind and covered for him, last ditch tackles and things like that. Um, there was also some people saying that they thought Kip should have played in this game. I don't know that Kip fixes any of the things that went wrong. Uh, and actually, I think there's a few moments where I saw Gabrielson kind of slow play a guy where like I've not seen Kip slow play anything ever. <laughs> and he's in this hundred miles an hour. Yeah. Yeah. And so there's like Gabrielson's like faced up with a guy at the top of the box and he kind of slow, slow plays it and lets other people shift around and get in position. And then somebody else shuts down the, the next pass. And so I thought there were some really good moments there defensively that Gabrielson did really well on that um, like Kip has looked good, but I don't like Gabrielson did make some errors, but I think Kip maybe makes a few other errors <laughs> in this game just because of the way the game played and what Portland was was uh, doing against us. So uh, back to the goal, though, at first I thought, oh, he just tripped. It's unfortunate. Before he even goes down, he's beat anyway. So I think this is a goal, even if no matter what, I Gavison think you're right. Doesn't too. fall down. Tui Loma gets on the on the other side of him before any of that even happens, and so I think Tui Loma's getting to it and getting ahead on it either way. Uh, Bill Tui Loma led the the Timbers in shots in this game. He had four shots, and he he was also the one who hit the post in the first half. That was Bill Tui Loma. Um, I was watching to see that one was, I don't know that it's any single defender's fault. It was kind of a, a scrambly moment and there were three guys all in the same spot and Gabrielson is marking the other center back who is pushing ahead of Tui Loma and Tui Loma just kind of drifts back. It's like maybe one of the, the midfielders should have tightened up when he realized how many numbers are in the box. But, but Bill Tui Loma, I think without the goal was the man of the match. Uh, just for some of like the defensive plays that he made, he was really, really good. And I didn't quite pick up how many how many plays he made in the first watch, but on the second watch, paying a little closer attention, he was excellent. And uh, they have him to thank for a lot of a lot of those moments that could have been dangerous for Austin that he cut out. I think one thing that I appreciated after that was that we saw such a tendency last year for us to give up a goal and then the team to be deflated and for that one goal to lead to other like negative outcomes. And it was good to see them still like pushing hard and, you know, and trying hard. And, you know, we, there's a couple spots where there's referee calls that could have gone another way that maybe would have led to a different result. But it, that's where I felt like it was a different team. Like after they went down, they didn't just crater. Yeah, no, I completely agree. There are moments in, in the second half uh, where they were just, throwing the ball around the pitch and like switching balls across the field. Like Nick Lima, a couple of times hit a ball, like switched the entire field, like all the way across the field and landed it on, on Kolmanich's foot. And I'm like, we did not do this last year. And it's not like we did bring in, we brought in some new guys. Right. But it was guys who were on the team last year who right. were doing this stuff. <laughs> and I was like, who is this team that's, that's playing like this? And so, uh, I think that's one of the reasons why I think this is uh, different. Like they just looked like a really good team in a really difficult uh, setting, a tough stadium to play in, a tough team to play against, playing pretty good soccer and just couldn't couldn't get it over the line. Yeah, do you want to talk about the potential handball moment? What did yeah, you think about? What you think about when you saw it? Maybe and then upon, um, I don't know how many times you've watched it. I've watched it a bunch and. I become less sure of my opinion every time I watch it. <laughs> yeah, my my opinion has changed quite a bit every time. In the moment, I thought it probably was a handball, uh, but I did not. It, of unless they have other angles that we didn't see on TV, I didn't think there was evidence on the replay to to overturn the call if it wasn't given initially. Um, after watching it a million times afterwards, I think it probably wasn't. A handball. I think it hit his shoulder, maybe. But either way, even if it was with the the angles we saw on the broadcast, I don't think there's any way you can overturn that if it wasn't given initially, because it has to be clear and obvious to 
to overturn it, right? And I don't think we saw that in the replay footage. Yeah, they, and they talked about that a lot. And I would say in the moment, I was like yelling at the TV convinced it was. And I become less sure every single time that I watch it again than it was. So I, mean, I guess it's I, the, the advantage I, of replay. I think there's certain angles where it looks like it hits him like on the bicep or like close to his elbow. And then other angles where he like kind of swings that arm, but it looks like it hits his shoulder. And I thought both of those things on several different times when I watched it. But in the end, just kind of look, looking at angles, I think it probably did hit his shoulder, but I'm not, I don't know. That's the kind of stuff I'd prefer, I guess, given the choice, like I'd prefer stuff like that to not decide a game. You know, if like if, if there was like a 50-50 thing, I'd prefer to not for it to not be a handball. Because yeah. it's happened to us, right? I think it was like one, I don't remember even what it was, like Diego got one called on him last year that was seemed, seemed fairly similar that sort of changed the tenor of a game. But I'd rather like players decide that. Yeah, I agree. So I don't think that one was a handball, but there was one like a minute earlier that I do think was a handball. <laughs> oh, that was on the, was it a Jite shot? Is that, yeah, was it Musa that one? Jite, um, it was like kind of a scrambly moment. And I think Ring plays one across and it lands on GTA's foot and he just smashes it. And um, I can't remember that center back's name, but whoever they subbed in at center back uh, was in between the near post and GTA. And he turns and at first, like at first glance during the game, even I thought he had his arm close enough to his body and it hit his arm that I was like, no, they, they shouldn't give that. But upon viewing the replay, He's like got his little chicken wing out there. And as he turns, he extends that elbow out and it's off of his body. It's not touching uh, his side there. His elbow is off his body and the ball hits him in the back of the arm there. And so if he had stayed sideways and it hit him, I think fair game. Like, don't worry about it. But he turns and sticks that elbow out and it hits him in the arm. And they didn't even look at that one. So I think that one would have been given a penalty had they reviewed it. So what's, I mean, it's just... The standard is referee discretion. I mean, how, how did how does the decision come down about which one what they're looking at and what they're not looking at? So I mean, on it, like I think the review booth is looking at everything, right? But say they're looking at that one and the dead ball ends and they they play on. I don't think they can stop the game at that point and say like, oh wait, go back and look at this thing two plays ago. Like, so it, it very well could have been that. Like Austin was pushing already. And was playing pretty quickly. And so it wasn't given initially. So they're just going to keep playing fast. And I think it was in a moment where we got like several corners in a row. And I, I imagine like it, maybe they did look at it and it was just too late. Ah, gotcha. So the last 15 minutes of the game after the, that review, Austin was piling on pressure, throwing numbers forward. And then several times just like sprinting back for dear life to stop counterattacks and doing that over and over and over and uh, we're putting in a lot of pressure, got a few dangerous chances, but just couldn't get that equalizer, and then it ended, uh, the game ended 1-0. Uh, do you think, you know, it started raining really hard in the second half. Do you, did you see any effect of the weather on the play? Uh, I mean, I didn't notice any specific moments, but, like, that weather is going to benefit Portland in that setting, not just because they're from, they're the ones from the rainy place, but, like, if you're the one playing bunker and counterattack as opposed to the ones playing possession soccer, like the rain's going to help the counterattacking team. <laughs> so yeah, I think it could have, I don't know that it, like I said, I didn't see any specific moments, but it very, like it didn't help us. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, any, any individual players we should, are there any starters? I, we talked about juicy a little bit. We talked about Gabrielson, um, anybody else stand out? I guess we could talk about Cecilio. I, I would like to a little bit. Yeah, before we get to Cecilio, I wanted to point out John Kolmanich. I thought he okay. was pretty solid defensively this game. I think last year, uh, transition defense, when he was like 1v1 running back to goal, I thought he looked a little bit weak last time. Some uh, sometimes last year, and I thought he did a really good job against uh, Moreno over on that side. And then Jimmy Chara would float over to that side. Sometimes I thought it, uh, Kolmanich was really solid. Yeah. I think he's, he's sort of, they talk about this international player, second year in the league, sort of getting, getting his like legs under him and doing it. And he seems to be doing that for himself. Uh, cause he's, he's been good so far. 
Yeah. Um, so Cecilio, I like had some some really good moments throughout the game, was working his ass off. Like I didn't appreciate how much he ran in the first viewing, but upon the rewatch, I would not be surprised if he covered the most ground of any Austin player for how much he was tracking back and covering ground and, and sprinting after guys on defense. Um, which maybe led to the next talking point is that he was calling for a sub in the uh, 74th minute after Austin had just used their fourth sub. <laughs> right. Yeah. He was calling for a sub at the point in time when, uh, no, he was calling for it like just about when GT came in, I think. It was like literally yeah. like the the, uh, the broadcast shows Cecilio like waving at the sideline and they cut over and you can see GT on the sideline waiting to come on. Waiting to come on, yeah. Yeah, he did. He worked really hard. I mean, he they did a good job of shutting him down, but that's I just wanted to make sure like he he gets credit. Yeah. People give him a people give him a hard time last year when he didn't run a lot and so like I want to make sure that he gets credit. Because he is running his, like you said, he's running his ass off up and down the field, you know, right now. So I think that's true that he's working really hard. But should we be critical of him for not being able to stay in a game longer than 74 minutes? I think that's that's a really good question. I don't know. I hadn't really like, thought about it. I think you would want, like, it's one thing if he's 32 years old. And yeah. You know, like, okay, we're going to get 75 out of Cecilio and we bring on a sub, but he's still like 27. Like, he should be able to go a full game. <laughs> that's 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 probably true, right? And it's like Juicy runs as much as anybody, and it's he's he plays the full 90 every single time. And, and Diego as well. Like, Diego, yeah. like, I think the two early subs, so the first subs that came on were Gallagher for Kolmanich, Valencia for Pereira, and Finley for Fagundes. So the first two are yellow card subs. Kolmanich was on a yellow and had their fastest player, two of their fastest, most dangerous players counterattacking down his side every time. And so I think that was a smart play to take him off, put John Gallagher on, who, as we were throwing those numbers forward late in the game, Gallagher's speed saved us from a couple of yeah, goals, he, probably. Yeah, he was the guy that was making the biggest runs back, for sure. Um, then, yeah, Danny, like I said before, like on a game like that, you like having your six have be on a yellow card is super dangerous. And so I think that that sub makes sense. Valencia looked pretty good. Uh, Diego, I, I think he got pulled out just because he wasn't being effective. And Finley scored two goals last game, so let's give him a run. Yeah, I got that sense out of it too. That it wasn't unlike um, Cecilia. It wasn't like that he was tired or whatever. But he just—they were looking for a different, different ideas out of out of play and putting him in. Yeah. So Musa Gite comes on for Maxi Ruti at seventy-one. Uh, I thought Maxi did did pretty well. Uh, they weren't giving him a lot of space to work in, but I thought he was as effective as he was going to be. Maybe minus. Um, doing a little better on that header and maybe a couple of other little moments, but I didn't think he played bad at all. Um, and then the last sub was Rodney Redis for Cecilia Dominguez. So I know, I know you probably have feelings about this one, but we're, I imagine you were disappointed to see Redis come on for Cecilia there. Well, I was disappointed to see Redis in the 20 period. <laughs> so at that, but at the point in time, there was, you couldn't put anybody else on. Like, I don't, I don't, we mentioned this at the EMLS thing because Jared Straub was at the EMLS uh, event taking pictures of people since he wasn't in Portland the night before. But yeah, like I would like to see Stroud get a shot to be the guy that would have been brought on there as opposed to Roddy Redis being that guy. Yeah, in, in the moment, Redis was the only winger on the bench. I think maybe an alternative could have been to put in uh, Hector Jimenez at left back and move John Gallagher forward to the wing. But we didn't know this at the time, but a few minutes later, John Gallagher would track back and, and save a couple of goals for us on counterattacks. So uh, I think it was probably a smart move to keep Gallagher there. Um, so yeah, in the moment, I think that's the only move you can make, but I think it's a fair question to ask, like why is Rodney still in this 20 man roster, which I don't think, and like in this specific game, I don't think Rodney was terrible, but 
we've just never seen him be good, right? Be good. You know, but the weird thing was, like, for me, like, everybody has this opinion, but then when Ethan Finley was talking about, like, how the team was deep and there's a lot of competition and, like, guys are really fighting for everything and they've got a lot of talent out there. Like, he specifically mentioned Rodney. It's, like, one of the people in the mix, which... And that was, this was on Wednesday before the 20 got announced. I don't know if like Josh just has, has it in everybody's head that they need to talk Rodney up or if there's like something that, because Finley was, t- was, he had that comment when he's talking about how like what you do on Monday, Monday through Friday shows who's going to be on the field. So I don't know if like Rodney just really, really good in practice, which is why he keeps being the guy in the 20 and you know, it's not panning out in games and time, but I thought it was interesting that he, he got mentioned and we don't, we're not there. We have no idea like what everybody looks like you know, what he's doing versus what Stroud's doing on Tuesday morning. Yeah, I mean, like the like the pessimist or like the... Yeah, I guess the pessimist in me thinks that maybe they, ha- like they have a significant investment in Rodney Reddes. They paid money for him. Uh, and so, like, maybe they're just trying to get him some game time and maybe he'll do something good so that his resale value will be something rather than nothing uh, in the near future. But yeah, it could be true that he's a, like he's a practice hero and just does really well. But I don't know. I don't know. We haven't seen it in a game yet. We haven't seen it in a game. Yeah. I thought Gallagher. I do do want to defend. I I heard some people talking trash about Rodney's uh, corners. He ended up taking four of the nine corners. I think maybe mostly because he was just, we're doing them quickly and he was just there. Uh, I don't think his corners were any worse than any of the other corners that were taken in the game. <laughs> no, I, I would agree with that. Of the things to criticize him about, like the corners were not one of the things that you should. A couple, the first couple were pretty good. The second couple were kind of iffy, but that seems pretty standard for what people were getting out, what we were getting out of that match. But I was going to mention Gallagher looked really good. We we mentioned him yeah. like making saves, but his speed came to play. So I think maybe one of the reasons you don't bring him in there. Is a winger. It's like they're just committed to this John Gallagher fullback experiment, which is he's only a few he's, games into, and he's pretty valuable in the role that he's playing. He's been good, yeah. And like I like positionally, uh, strength wise, I haven't seen him get take advantage of strength wise either. And so I, I think he still could against bigger attackers. Uh, but he's been like the limited minutes he's seen. I think John Gallagher has looked like a fullback. On either side, like left and right. We've seen him at both now, and I think he's looked really solid. So I, I, I'm kind of excited to see what kind of fullback he can turn into because uh, if he embraces it, he's still young enough that he could, like if he's willing to like give up on a career as an attacker and just embrace being a fullback, I think he could be a really good one. So we'll, we'll see where he goes with that. Yeah, I think I think you're right. And then the other in Musajite, we had the one shot you talked about. I noticed that in the post game, Josh kind of got a little bit back onto the he's floating around and not playing his role thing. And I don't know if that's that's what you observed, like like when you watched it. But he Wolf specifically referenced that sort of freelancing and not being where he's supposed to be in the system in the post game press conference. Yeah, I think I mean in a game last night, like. It was pretty hectic by the time he came on, but in the minutes we've seen him play, he's playing the position very differently from what Maxie's doing. And if that's not on orders from Wolf, like, yeah, I don't think he's doing a great job because <laughs> Maxie is doing like, even though he's not getting a lot of shots off, he's not getting a lot of dangerous moments. He's making space for people by making the runs uh, opening up the pocket in between those center backs and those midfielders so that our midfielders can kind of float in and and exploit that space. So I think Maxi's been pretty effective at that kind of stuff, and I don't think GTA has. Uh, his hold-up play is really good whenever he does receive the ball, but as far as like moving and being in the right spots, it seems like he's kind of making it up, whereas Maxi is doing something very intentionally. Well, I think before we wrap Portland up, do you want to take another break? And then we can sort of finish this out and preview Seattle? Yeah, let's do it. Hang tight. We'll be right back. All right. We are happy to let everybody know that we are doing another ticket giveaway thanks to Sage Wilson Property Group, which is really a continuation of the same ticket giveaway we've done before. And we'll do up until right before the game on April 10th. So to enter, go to moontowersoccer.com, click on free ticket ticket giveaway in the top navigation bar 
or click the link in the show notes and fill out the form. Again, this is made possible by Sage Wilson Property Group. So if you or someone you know are in need of Sage real estate advice in Austin, you should talk to our friends at Sage Wilson Property Group. And as always, Moon Tower Soccer is brought to you by our friends at FVF Law, the official injury lawyers of Austin FC. FVF is a different kind of personal injury law firm dedicated to community, transparency, and client education. And I saw the FVF team out uh, doing a team building thing on Instagram, and they were fishing together, which kind of made me think, like, what is the best or worst team building thing you've ever had to do, like, for your job? Because fi- <laughs> I mean, fishing seemed a little bit like non-traditional as far as what office groups may go and do. Uh, my last job was pretty cheap. And so we never got to do like actual cool stuff. And so it was like, we're going to go to Peace Park and play on the splash pad and cook hot dogs. Like oh, literally, like we took a bunch of adults to do that. And then another one was um, we went to Red Robin and got hamburgers and then went to the trampoline park, which that one was actually pretty cool, but was still like a very cheap thing to do for like a team appreciation thing. <laughs> For sure. So definitely FEF, way better team appreciation things than that. I think it's the punchline of this ad. Yes. So you can go to FEF.law to find out what makes FEF a different kind of injury law firm and why understanding your legal options can dramatically change the outcome of a case. Once again, that's FEF.law. All right, we are back and we are about to preview the Seattle game here in a second. But first, we want to wrap up a few loose ends with the Portland game. So one of the questions that I wanted to ask is, what do we think about Wolf's game management here? Because uh, I thought that the tactical plan was good, but there's a few little moments that I, I don't know that I have a super strong opinion on them, but I thought it would be interesting to just kind of explore. So one of them being kind of the timing of the subs. Um, that first group came in in the 66th minute. I think Chris Bills or somebody asked Wolf about it in the post-game press conference about when those subs were going to come in. And Wolf, he was, I, pretty I dis- if- he was dismissive, right? I mean, he was, he kind he of acted like, oh, well, we, like we are, we are going to make those subs, but it was a set piece and we want to make it in a set piece. And so I was watching for that specifically the goal was in the 62nd minute and the subs were in the 66th minute. So they did not, they like didn't have them ready and it was a set piece. And then we're going to put them in. Like it was several minutes after the goal that he was putting those guys in. So, um, like, I still don't know if that's even the wrong thing to do. Like, I think getting Danny out ASAP was probably the right thing to do, but like, was it going to matter if he did it in the 62nd minute or in the 66th minute? Cause like yeah. we said, Gabrielson was the one who didn't, didn't track Tui Loma. So it's not like putting in Valencia for Danny was going to fix that part of it. Right. Yeah. I, yeah. I would agree with that. Um, the only reason I might have done it earlier was just to your point, like Danny seemed like he was, a red card was inevitable at that point, yeah. especially with the way that the rest were calling the game. And then another criticism I saw a little bit of was there wasn't really like a tactical change, or I didn't think I saw a lot of tactical change after the subs come came in. Like you brought Ethan Finley in to do basically the same thing that Diego Diego, Diego Fagundes was trying to do, and just hope that you got a better result. But I don't know. What did you think about that? I don't. I didn't think the game plan needed to change because it was working. Uh, I thought we weren't executing once we got into the final third, but we were getting into the final third. And so, like, yeah, I don't... Maybe there's a couple of little things you could have done, but I think, I mean, Finley is just a way different player than Fagundes. He's way more direct and was stretching that line. I thought he did do some things that Diego wouldn't have done in that position and didn't do in that position. And so, like, I don't, I don't think you need to change a lot because we got 16 shots off against the team who was bunkered in defensively. And so, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't quite buy that one. I think it's more of just, like, maybe timing things and, like, getting guys in and out. But even that one, I'm not sure about. Like, I, I don't have a super strong feeling about it. I think it's easy to look in hindsight and be like, oh, if you'd have made these changes a little sooner. But, like, 66 minutes is still, like, I'd say on average, that's like slightly earlier than most second half subs come in. Yeah, fairly early. I think compared to the, and then the criticism last year was like that he would just keep the starting 11 in so long, right? And this, 
it's like this was not as valid as some of those other ones. Like this timing was earlier. You know, some of the other like I feel like the 2021 things that people would talk about were like so much more direct and obvious. And this is just like like Monday morning quarterbacking on, yeah, on the outcome. I'm not saying, yeah, like it's like maybe, maybe he was wrong. But like you said, it's not as clear cut as some of the stuff that happened last year. For sure. So what do we think? How is this one one nil loss different, if at all, from our vast experience? I meant to look this up to see exactly how many one nil losses we had last year, but it feels like a lot. Like, yeah, <laughs> what should we take away from this? Maybe that's different from what we did last time around. I think this one is different. So last year, there were a lot of games where it just seemed like we are hoping for an accident to lead to a goal to be an equalizer or the go ahead goal. This looked like a good team. There was a, a clear tactical plan that was, for the most part, really well executed. And I think we found out the hard way last year that good teams on the road know how to stay in games and capitalize on moments when when an opportunity is presented. Uh, Seattle is what we saw there. Seattle played a bunch of teenagers against us, played super defensively hung on until they could get Rui Diaz in for a few minutes and he's scored a worldie. And so like, that's what great teams do. And so I think last night or on Saturday night, Austin did all of that. They, they like did what they needed to do to stay in this road game threw everything they had at at Portland, got some good chances and just couldn't get it over the line. Couldn't execute in those moments. So I think that this is one of the questions we had in preseason is where goals going to come from. We don't have Raul Ruiz Diaz to, to score that banger in one of those moments. And so we need guys to, to, to take a quote from Josh Wolf to be more ruthless. And yes, when Portland gives you half a chance on the road, in the rain, in the cold in Portland, you have to take it and you have to finish, finish some of those chances. Even if there, you get three or four good ones, you have to finish one of them. And that's the only part we didn't do. Aside from that, I thought they looked good. I thought it looked like a good team playing another good team away on the road. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I, I think we'll have another chance to learn about this team coming up this week, right? I mean, it's you cannot be more different than starting with Cincinnati and Miami and then going on to Portland and Seattle, giving, given like the results over the last several years. I guess... I can't remember who it was, but uh, somebody was talking about like the last six Western Conference champions were Portland or Seattle. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so it's a pretty good pedigree from the clubs that we're playing this over these next two weeks. Yeah. Uh, do you want to jump into our Seattle preview now? Yeah, let's do it. So historically, I think everybody knows Seattle's really good. This is my favorite stat. I think I mentioned this when we played them last year, but they were granted an expansion franchise in 2009. And since 2009, Seattle has never missed the playoffs. Um, so they're really consistent. They won the MLS Cup in 2016 and 2019. Then they were runners up in the MLS Cup in 2017 and 2020. So that's what f- four out of five years they were in the final. And I think guess Portland was the other two. And they play. I remember why I thought Lumen Field was interesting, but they play at a football stadium, get a lot of people out there. And then one thing that I kind of forgotten, but this Drew Carey, I think for Seattle is probably like the first celebrity owner. Or one of the first celebrity owners. The yeah, he would have TV been guy. one of the early ones for sure. And he kind of introduced the whole MLS band thing, although it's a front office applied. I think it's called this what it, the Seattle Soundwave, I believe, is, is what it's called. But it's a yeah, it's like kind of the the lame drumline. It's like thing a drumline that, thing, and not a like not like a murga, but you know, at the time, and I think I remember that being like really different and creative and interesting for MLS. They even have that, so that was like an interesting part of their history. So in 2021, Seattle finished in second place, uh, but then lost in the first round of the playoffs to RSL in penalty kicks. Um, Raul Ruiz Diaz led the team in scoring for the fourth straight year. So he was, Clint Dempsey was the leading scorer for Seattle the year, the last time that Ruiz Diaz wasn't. And last year he had 19 goals. Uh, He has not played this year, I don't believe. I don't think he's played in any of their league games or any of their CONCACAF Champions League games. So we'll probably be seeing uh, Freddie Montero or I think they've played one of the young kids that we saw last year as well. Um, So I guess that's one uh, ray of hope is that we're not going to have to play against (laughs) Raul Diaz probably. Yeah, he he won't do that again for sure. So this season they... 
seem to be even more stacked than they have been in, in seasons past. Um, we saw Brad Smith go out. He's in D.C. now. But they brought in Albert Rusnak. So the team that beat them last year, probably their best player, <laughs> brought him in yeah. on a TAM deal. Uh, Jordan Morris is back and seems healthy and ready to go. And then the rest of the team, they pretty much have everyone else here. And Fre- Freddie Montero was like, he came back during the season, right? Last year too, I think. Yeah, he might have come back mid-season last year. So he's kind of a, he's kind of an addition, if not exactly. Um, and he's like he split, he's played well in CCL and um, in the for them he's got one of their three goals. But yeah, still their slowish start to this season. They lost to Nashville and RSL in their first two matches. Defeated LA Galaxy three two last weekend. So I think they have three goals, four or four goals against, and currently sit eleventh in the West, despite being my first overall pick in the MLS fantasy team draft with Phil West. Yeah, the the first two league games, they didn't look great. And um, we think part of that could be because they're playing in CONCACAF Champions League, which could be another positive for Austin that they're playing in Mexico uh, at Club León on Thursday and then coming to Austin and playing on Sunday. So they're going to be traveling. Uh, They're up 3-0. It's a two-legged tie. The first tie they played at home and won 3-0. So you could see like maybe they'll not play the like the full starting 11 against Leon in Mexico on Thursday to try to save some guys for the league game in Austin. But that seems really risky. Like Mexican teams have beat MLS teams more than three nil several times. And for sure in Mexico. So um, I'm curious. I'll be watching that 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 lineup when it drops for the CCL match. Uh, but either way, they're, they're going to have some probably tired legs in Austin uh, on Sunday when they come. But we've seen in the plat in the past that maybe. It oh, doesn't yeah. Matter. They'll just yeah, throw, I was going to say out a 15 year old and still beat us. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I've, I've given up on being excited about any any possible Seattle like negative consequences before they play. So, I mean, it should be. Should be another good test. And I think if any team set up to be deep enough to to deal with Concacaf Champions League and MLS in the same week, it's probably Seattle just because of the amount of talent that they have. Yeah. So as far as Austin's approach to the Seattle game, I mean, I think they need to just like Ted Lasso it and and be a goldfish on this one. Like, forget about Portland. Come out with the same attitude that you played against Portland mm-hmm. and just go at Seattle like what what do you have to lose like Seattle's probably gonna do because of the situation they're in and also just because of the way they kind of play sometimes like they're probably gonna maybe like maybe sit back a little deeper and hope to just steal one like they did last year uh whenever they came to Austin so I think Austin should approach it the same way just play like you did against Miami and and uh and Cincinnati just play like a good team, pretend like act like you're a good team because I think yeah. they are. And so they'll still have to be careful with some of these really dangerous attacking players. Uh, this is going to be a really good midfield that they're playing against again, but they held their own on the road in the rain against Portland. So I think they can do the same against Seattle. Yeah. This week, you know, on, on social and stuff they had, you know, there was like the players having the barbecues and there was all this real positive content, which is really easy to get into after you've, had the best two game opening in the history of major league soccer. So it'll be interesting to see like how that holds up and whether this sort of spirit of camaraderie and all this kind of stuff holds after, you know, a negative outcome or if, if suddenly like they retreat a little bit, I mean, hopefully they want this is, I feel like this is a test, you know, this will be a test about whether it's a different team this year or not for sure. It's how, how they respond and how hopefully, you know, last year we got off to a really good start and then one lost compounded this like losing streak that that went that was awful that was the uh andrew weeby was happy to point out last week on social media so like hopefully we take one loss as just one loss and it doesn't turn into a bigger thing than that yeah so austin after this game will go on the road to san jose come back home uh to play minnesota then back on the road to dc so not the not the hardest of of 
uh, stretches here, but not necessarily easy either. But I think getting a good result at home against Seattle could like, like the, the good vibes hump that we're kind of sitting on top of, I think it could, we could fall off on one side or the other, depending on how the Seattle game goes. If, if Seattle comes in and demoralizes us, I think some of those, the good vibes and some of that camaraderie could swing the other way. But if we get a good result and, and even beat Seattle, I think it could like kind of solidify that. And that like, this is, this is just what this team is now. Yeah. Let's hope for that. Do you think we'll see any more changes? You think if any, do you think we'll see any more roster, any more lineup changes this week? Is this the week we see Johan Valencia like, tactically? Is that the right move against Seattle? Yeah, I don't know, man. It's, it's tough because like I said, Danny looked, Danny looked good, but um, so I, I guess the like one criticism I could have of Danny is that there were several moments where we would give the ball away, counter press, we would all swarm uh, the Portland players and Danny would like crash into a guy or foul him. I think maybe in that same situation, Johan Valencia maybe wins a few more of those balls without fouling or just gets them a little bit cleaner. Um, I think the question is like, what does Johan do moving forward and does it make up for what we're losing there? So I wouldn't be surprised either way. Uh, Danny's looked good enough that I, I wouldn't blame Wolf if he didn't want to take that spot away from him after how good he's looked. So I, I have no clue. I think the one that's, that is up in the air is the, the center back spot. Like, do you think Gabrielson keeps his spot or do we see more rotation there? I would think we see Gabrielson again. Like I think it it would generally he was overall he was pretty good and I think it would send a bad sign to have that kind of reaction to just like one moment. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh anything else about Seattle before we wrap it up? Yeah, let's let's wrap it up. All right. We would like to remind you to rate, read, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Uh tell a friend, tell tell the people sitting beside you at the game. If you hear someone talking about something nerdy at the game or like pointing out tactics or talking to the person beside him about uh who's a better six <laughs> then just say like hey have you ever listened to moon tower soccer let them know we'd be we'd really appreciate it um we'd also encourage you like we've said several times show is always going to be free but if you have a couple of bucks join the patreon we'd appreciate that as well uh and if you want to continue the conversation come find us on twitter at lviahero87 and jbentley underscore atx and then at moon tower soccer on instagram and twitter and then we'd encourage you to visit the Striker Texas website. Uh, Jeremiah, what can folks look out for over there? Well, Chris Bills has started a new series, which I think Landon helped name. Well, I don't know. I guess he gave you choices and you picked, he gave us choices and you picked one. The Verde Q&A <laughs> series. And the first uh, article out is an interview with Davey Arnault that is pretty, I think it's pretty insightful. Yeah, there's like a lot of little tidbits of information that of like things I've just like always been curious about that Davey answers like, oh, yeah, this is what we're doing when you see this. And so, yeah, check that one out. I thought it was really good. Another one I thought was good was the uh, who's the real capital of of Texas soccer and the writers from each of the uh, Texas striker Texas cities make a pitch to say, like, why their city is the, the soccer capital of Texas. I thought that one was really good. So check that out, too. Uh, anyway, thanks for thanks so much for listening. We'll be back next week with a new episode of Moon Tower Soccer. Until then, I'm Landon Cottom. I'm Jeremiah Bentley. We'll catch you next time. When no one is around. Muchas gracias. Bye bye.